Hi everyone, I'm Rosanna and this is AFL Obsessed. If you didn't check out part one of my interview with Doc and Chizo from Dr. Supercoach, go back and take a listen of that. And if you have heard it, enjoy part two coming to you right now. So, Doc, um, just more about your club. Like, I feel like Big Mummy um, for Americans. It's Shane Mumford. He's back for the season. I'm just curious how you think he's going to fare because he was definitely still there at the end of the season, but hanging on by like a thin piece of thread. I think this is probably Mummy's last season, and I'm surprised he's still playing, to be honest with you. He's, He's retired once and kept his fitness going through an intense boxing program. Uh, in the off season and saw that GWS had some weaknesses, felt he still had some, some gas in the tank and, uh, came back to the club. Um, I, I think this is the transition year where you see mummy pass the torch to, to sauce or to, to Sam Jacobs or perhaps one of the younger Ruckman as well. Uh, in fact, when he, w- when he retired, he was actually the Ruck's coach for GWS. Right, so I saw that. So he, he has this that. natural tendency to, to want to not necessarily play at a high level, which he does, but also to get others to play at a high level and to bring out the best and, and benef- you know, of, from the players and benefit the club as a whole. So I, I think he probably has a Stevie J type year. Stevie J. Jay in his last years really mentored uh, Toby Green, and I think Toby Green is much better off for it. I, I could see uh, Mummy taking, a, also going through a transition year, going into a mentorship role, kind of a player coach role, and and handing the torch off to the next generation. Okay, and I am curious because you are talking about Toby Green, and I know how you feel about him now, um, but I do feel like I've said he's really feisty on the field. And during kind of the finals run, just kind of like rewind back with me, guys, um, you know, he had to miss a week because I felt like he's been fined left and right. Honestly, just like throughout, I feel like he accumulates a higher register than a lot of other players. And I don't want to say favored, but I feel like, you know, just getting the one week by like, I don't know if that's. And the timing of it, obviously, but I just don't know if that's like a, I feel like the fines are, or the punishments as they're doled out, like say the Jaden Stevenson one, for instance, you know what I mean? I don't know if it was like proportional. Do you feel it was proportional? Like for him, I don't want to say learned his lesson, but do you know what I'm saying? Oh boy, here we go. So the... (laughs) We're gonna, we're gonna take this into we're gonna coming. take this into two parts because the second part Chizo won't <laughs> shut up on. So I'm gonna, I know you just be quiet for a moment, Chizo. Um, so anyway, so Toby Green, uh, feisty young man. I like I like this one. Um, had some anger management issues. You one thing I enjoy about Toby is you've got to see him mature. And look, we've all made dumb mistakes growing up as a kid. We probably all had some temper issues. Uh, we probably all would do some things differently. And so the thing about being an actor, you know. Did we lose you, Doc? <laughs> see. And, and so the, we have got to watch Toby Green mature, sometimes painfully. Uh, and some, we've, you know, for his mistakes, uh, you know, for all the world to see. And, and he pushes the boundary. And that's one thing I appreciate about him along the same lines of Stevie J is he, he, he definitely pushes the boundaries. He gives you everything he has. He brings a, a passionate professionalism to the field and he's going to give you everything he has. And sometimes he does cross the line. And I would say the punishments he's gotten have been wholly deserved. And I have no 
argument whatsoever about either the punishments he received or the ones he got off on. I, I typically think they've gotten it more right than wrong with Toby Green, who is a handful for the judiciary. Now, point number two, and here we go. I'm going to hand this over to Chizo. <laughs> the way that the AFL does uh, discipline on a week-to-week basis is inconsistent at best. And you are so spot on that actions in one game by one player can receive one set of fines or one set of discipline. But the same actions or similar actions done by someone else on a different week of the season, uh, when the rules may be interpreted slightly different, um, can receive a whole nother set of fines or no fine at all or no punishment at all. And it is a source of frustration to the viewing public who would just like to see some consistency in that, you know, if a certain action, it shouldn't matter who you are. It shouldn't matter what team you play for. It shouldn't matter how much revenue they bring in. A certain action should, there should be some consistency in the evaluation and the grading and the administration of justice, um, as it were, for player behavior. And and I think the AFL, uh, generally speaking, does a terrible job of developing that consistency. Chizo, what do you think about this? <laughs> I agree with everything you said. Get, if I was looking for a word, to describe it, I wouldn't use inconsistent because okay. I don't think that fully highlights how bipolar the decisions from week <laughs> to week are. You can have you can have something six days apart from one round to another that are literally identical to the action of the motion, to where the player got impacted, to how bad their concussion was, and they will get completely different sentences depending on who they are. And the worst part is they try and wrap it up in some BS excuse about, oh, no, this is definitely a a number one grading because of X, Y, Z, and we're all here going, you're just full of it. Like, just come out and say there are protected species in the AFL. They bring in revenue. This particular person has the chance to win the MVP, and you don't think that this should disclude, you know, stop them from being able to win it. Just say that. That's t- I would be totally okay if they said, you know what, we are totally biased that this important person should, shouldn't should lose the ability to win MVP over this slight indiscretion. That would be okay. Or change the rules to the point where you can have a slight indiscretion and still win it. Because at the moment, if you get suspended for anything, you can't win the best and fairest because the fairest is still part of the term. But like with Toby Green, he has put himself on the radar with a, he pushes the boundaries. He's right. He's got that white line fever. He steps across onto the field, and you know, if you're in his zone, he's going to take you out. That's just that's just how it is. He's now on the radar, and so certain things that he does get brought up in the media, and they go to um, basically tribal council and vote him off for something that is basically not as bad as ten other people did in the exact same round because his name is Toby Green and he's got a prior record. And it just frustrates the hell out of everyone who loves the game, not because he's my favorite player like Doc is, but because of the complete polar opposite that they can have from week to week with the exact same action. You're just like, this is totally unfair. And I just, it, as you can tell, it just frustrates me because they'll come out around one and say, this particular action, we don't, we want to be a, we want a hard line and we don't want it to happen in the game. We don't want to show our kids growing up playing sport that this is okay, like tummy punches if you're having a disagreement. And so for two rounds, they'll start giving out fines and start giving out weeks. And as soon as someone important does one of those, they go, 
we never agreed to say that this was not allowed to be in our game. This is totally fine. And then for the next month, no one will get banned. And then Toby Green will come across and do it. They're like, it is now a bannable offence again. And it's just, (laughs) it's got to the point where it's such a laughing stock that no one even gives it the light of day because you'll go, you'll see something happen and go, that's a week. You have to miss a week, but your name is Nat Fife. You'll get off. And you can actually predict what they're going to say to get them out of it. That's how how biased and fake this system is. And it just, I just want it to be uniform. And if you make a mistake, you have to deal with the consequences. I don't care whether you're in the chance of winning an MVP. Sit on the sidelines. That's my opinion. Well, and you mentioned Toby Green last year. I think the the height of the hypocrisy and the inconsistency, and as Chizo mentioned, the favoritism, was Gary Ablett last year, okay. who was elbowing people in the head. And, right. and somehow... Right, right, and is, right. Yeah, I mean, just, just clapping I absolutely people, agree you know, with you know, this. You know, and, and for some reason, because he's a nice guy and, you know, maybe in the brown low and plays for Geelong, you know, it's okay. And it went... It went week to week, and he kept doing stuff like this, and he kept getting off until I think it was the third offense. They're like, "All right, this is finally too far." And it, you know, whereas other people were basically breathing on people a little bit hard, and <laughs> you know, getting three games straight away. And it was just, yeah. it was the the favoritism and the inconsistency. Exhibit one A was Gary Ablett in two thousand nineteen. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. And who, remind me who the, I think it was like a captain who was like pinching Orazio to the point where he was bruising, but it was like totally fine. And there was like, everything was okay. Like I just see certain things like that, like you have said, where, you know, it's predictable enough for how they're going to cover for, you know, someone who they think just they want to keep like on screen, but then it's also like really divisive when it's certain other players. So it's really interesting to kind of hear like both of you. Um, I, I feel like we've pushed some elevator buttons there too. Um, Chizo, let's talk about your club because there's just so much to talk about there. Um, and Do I we know- have to? It's so depressing. <laughs> we have to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, I asked previously about the Sydney Danaher no trade deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously now that it looks like he might not be playing for most of the season, what was the likelihood you thought anyway of kind of getting that you would get like a Tim Kelly year out of him because he's definitely not going to be at your club next year. No, I, I, I'm one of the people that believe that if you don't want to be at our club and we force you to stay, you're not going to give us 100%. So it would be amicable for both parties and the best outcome for both parties if we get you where you want to go because we're going to get something in return and it's usually going to be you know, maybe a pick or a player that actually wants to come and be around our club. Having players like Joey, he obviously has an extensive history, family history with our club um, that he has had always had this pressure, this, you know, this added pressure from the public that he needs to be better than the rest. And, um, you know, that's going to wear down on someone. And so when you have 24 months of just injury after injury and you try and come back and then you can't and you can tell that he just wants to get out of the spotlight and so moving to a club like um, the Swans who are in rugby league town totally out of the spotlight they can he he can just have that release and just go back to finding the because you can tell he doesn't love the game at the moment he doesn't he's not enjoying it 
And it would be better for both parties if we had just said, look, we we agree you you're one of our um our great best players our best assets when you're up and going you are top five key forwards in the competition you are an absolute superstar we have seen games where single-handedly he has just torn it apart and so you cannot deny that the talent and the ability is there but the problem is if no one in the relationship is happy it doesn't mean you have to keep you know, stay in the relationship. Breakups happen all the time, right? So you have to do what's best for everyone. And I think what's best for everyone would have been to get him to the Swans. However, the Swans last year didn't come to the table and offer what I think is a reasonable deal for someone of his ilk. And the problem was the Swans got him to come out in the public and announce he wanted a trade and then refused to come to the party. And so that's the worst thing is that he's now stuck at Essendon where he doesn't want to be. We're all annoyed because we know he doesn't want to be there. And so it's just this terrible revolving situation, this merry-go-round where no one's happy, no one wants to be there. And, you know, I, I put it almost entirely on the swans because if we had been given a deal that even remotely resembled what he was worth, then the deal would have gone through. But offering a 20th pick for um, for Danaher, or, you know, something that didn't even resemble what he's worth, was never going to get the job done. Like if, you, if you've got a player that you want, you get them to come out and say that they want to come to your club when, and keep in mind with all that family history, this is a really big deal that he's saying he wants to leave Essendon and then say, nah, we'll give you a bag of chips. It's not going to work well. It's totally on you to get the job done. And it was just so disappointing from an Essendon perspective because if he's not happy here, I want him to go and find that love of the game again because it's so clear that he's not enjoying it right now. So as a fan of his, I'm more than okay with him leaving if it keeps him with longevity in, in this great sport because... I want to see him get back to his best, which is just Buddy-esque. He's, he, on the top of his game, he's just incredible. Okay, yeah, I think, I think I can see your perspective in terms of what you said about them kind of forcing him maybe to make the declaration or intention or whatever, and then just kind of it became almost like this spectacle of when they decided mm. like, okay, actually, just kidding, maybe not. But I think the irony is just that he felt so as you were saying, like scrutinized, like on a microscopic level maybe. But then when he went, I guess, at least from what I read, it looked like he was, even though he was in rugby country, he was still like recognized and like the way that people found out, like he was in Sydney, no? And they were like, oh, that's like Danaher. <laughs> so Yeah, but it, yeah, it, in, in a city of what, like four or five million people, there's going to be some AFL fans there. So you are going to get recognized if you go to a public coffee shop. There's... Like, you're not trying to hide it at that point, are you? You could have easily done it in the office of the Sydney Swans and no one would have known. So just because it's out of the AFL public eye, you know, he's already got that family history. He's playing for one of the biggest clubs in the city that has all the AFL, like majority of the AFL fans in Australia. So you can understand why he wants to get out of there. And I just, you know. I get it. 
it, it just yeah it just seems it just seems to me like he is the one that's been hard done by by this because now he has to go crawling back to a side and you know in these situations you tend to do you do tend to lose a little bit of respect from your teammates and that's going to be very hard to earn back in a place where you're already feeling um disenchanted with okay i agree and i think maybe we've done like a disservice like overall as a sporting community to him too specifically sorry you were saying doc uh yeah i'd like to point out for the benefit of an american audience of of how this works and she's correct me if i'm wrong here but if a player who's under contract would like a trade they have to formally request a trade yes They, they they can't kind of in the u.s where you would go to the media and just start bitching and whining and and you know creating a focus you actually have to to undergo a league procedure where you formally request a trade okay so he went through apparently and by the way i don't disagree with much of what chizo said um but he felt like he wanted to leave essendon it was a big deal for essendon and he formally requested a trade now once you formally do that your club has to undergo a good faith effort to try to trade him to his nominated club so when you request a trade you actually request the club you'd like to be traded to. So this is, and your team, your current team is obligated, as I mentioned, to undergo a good faith effort to try to work out a deal with the nominated club. As Chizo half mentioned, Sydney lowballed uh, with some 20th round pick, but Chizo, correct me if I'm wrong, Essendon, didn't they ask for two first round picks? Okay. But that's how and negotiations jo- work. You ask for well, something here, they offer something below and you tend to meet in the middle. But the problem was, even when Essendon downgraded their offers, they still the Sydney was still like, "Nah, we're still giving you a bag of chips." Right now, I understand exactly what you're saying. Being being a businessman at heart, you know, you 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 work in from the ends towards the middle, and so the Sydney was lowballing. Essendon was asking for the world. The the reality of this is, Joe Danaher is, as you mentioned, has the ability to take over games. He has a a lingering injury, which is known to to not heal well. And he's also out of contract at the end of 2020. So and so Sydney had nothing to lose. But once Joe Danaher exercised his rights as a player to request the trade and nominated a club, Sydney had nothing to lose by holding Pat and not overpaying for him because instead of paying either in a two round two first round picks or in some compromise one first round pick they're likely going to get him for free at the end of 2020 but they won't though because he's he's a restricted free agent so Essendon will just say they're offering you this much okay we'll match it now you have to trade for him Got he's it, not. He's it. not. A, he's not. A, he's not an unrestricted free agent. So they're not going to get him for free anyway. They'll be forced to trade because Dodo will just. He'll just match whatever deal they've offered him. Got it. Or have less leverage in the trade. So maybe not for free, but cheap. So I. I. But I do agree with you that it was a big deal, and uh, you laid the blame squarely at the feet of the Swans. I would slightly disagree with that in that if I'm, I, I thought it was interesting. Essendon wasn't the one that co- would compromise and move someone that didn't want to be there for all the reason that, that you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. because the burden was on Essendon to try to negotiate in good faith. And yes, the Swans were driving a hard bargain, but should the Essendon club have considered the greater good of not only Joe Danaher, but their own club and found a workable deal to get the best possible concept, uh, compensation for Danaher now versus 
lesser compensation later. They chose to, both sides dug in their heels. And now, as you mentioned, Danaher is at Essendon for another year, for better or for worse. He's just announced he's going to miss half the year. And is was that the right do you let me ask you this cheese uh, pardon i'm taking over here rosanna i mean do you oh, in hindsight do you think that that was the right call should they have do you think essendon here um should have been more open to trading him for whatever they could have got for him under the circumstances they definitely should not have traded him for whatever sydney was willing to offer they still have to think what's in best interests of their football club and letting one of their absolute top three superstars of the list, injured or not, go for a bag of chips just to find an amicable decision is not in the best interests of the club. So I don't agree that they should have just accepted whatever Sydney offered. They needed to meet in a reasonable... Uh, it's like when you're selling a car. You put 2000 on it, hoping to get 1500 and then they offer you you know, 1700 you, you You feel like you've got a steal there. Like, you don't – he was never going to get two first-round picks. As an Essendon supporter, we knew he was not going to get two first-round picks for it. I would have been totally happy with something in between two first-round picks and one second-round pick because both of them are so far off the mark that someone has to meet in the middle. There, there has to be some some sort of – taking Danaher out of it, just looking at an apples-to-apples situation, they have to be able to realise that – this um what how much value that they're bartering over is so far away from what they're offering that it's just ridiculous from snn and both sydney's side of things and so no snn shouldn't have just taken whatever they could get for the best interest of the player because that just sets the precedent that the players have total um control over every trade situation it's not like other sports where the, the the franchise or the club is able to dictate a lot of the proceedings. And so you, they, there's a, that fine balance of doing what's right for the player, doing what's right for the club, and finding an a even and fair trade. And unfortunately in this situation, neither club was willing to go the distance. But I feel it was on Sydney, it was in their hands, in their part of the court to say, we've made you come out. You want to come to us. It's up to us to work to get this deal. We might have to overpay to get you, but we want you and they don't want you to leave. So the opposing team doesn't want you to leave. So it's on us to get this done. Okay. That's my I feel like I'm nodding so like vehemently, which is super helpful in a podcast, I think. Um, and also <laughs> like smiling. Um, I mean, I think I love that you both defined like what and how a negotiation works. Thank you so much for that. But I, I agree with both of you. Like, we don't agree with just, um, I mean, what you were saying, Chizo, you don't just go for the lowest common denominator, I guess, when you're like, you know. And so I feel like it's just going to be really interesting to see how this season plays out, especially with him. Um, I was just curious about also, like, kind of more about Essendon. Um, Wisha, I guess, is having his season long goodbye, as I call it. Um, so in America, when you know, when you get the boo or even there, like in the AFL, um, or you decide to leave, I feel like there's typically not a transition period. So that was really interesting where he's taking, you know, a season, I guess, to kind of pass on like the baton. So what are your thoughts on that? Especially since teams are known to kind of have a honeymoon period right when, you know, one coach leaves. 
and they kind of like start winning games or whatever. Like, you know, I just kind of wanted your thoughts on like all of that. I know it's a loaded question. It, well, it's it's cons, uh, considerably more popular, more frequent. We had the Malthouse handing over to Nathan Buckley with Collingwood. Uh, we've had Paul Ruse handing over to Simon Goodwin with Melbourne. Uh, and so whoosh handing over the reins is not uncommon. It's it's it, When it first happened, it was a, a bit of a big deal that, that they have a succession plan in place. But I think... I think a lot of you know, if you think in the in the the normal world, there's a lot of succession plans. You don't you don't usually just, I mean, you do fire CEOs with no um, plan in place in certain situations. But I think a lot of a lot of businesses, a lot of leadership roles, you've always got a you know a second in charge or a, a succession a succession plan. And so, in terms of a head coach of a sporting club. Uh, I don't see it as this big, crazy situation that is so confusing and and, and not reasonable to expect that a, a professional organization would want to have um, their kind of next few years mapped out. I think that's really, really good. If they've, if they've isolated the, and figured out the individual that they think can take their club forward, there's no reason why they would, you know, just you know, tell them you know a couple of years in advance and say you know we want you to to work with our current head coach, uh, get to know the players a bit better, take on more responsibility, and at this point in time you're going to take over the reins and you'll be able to go forward. I think that that would you you have that ability to build a relationship and a rapport with your players much better than randomly picking a head coach that has never worked with these players before and just slotting them into the head coach role because. You've already done a lot of that legwork. If they, if those players are already willing to play for you because you've got that, um, that that connection with them, I think that's actually a, more of a positive than a negative in having a, a succession plan. And I actually quite like it. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think I just have like a few kind of rapid fire questions left. I think we'll just kind of move on from Essendon chat. There is so much like deeper of like a, I could have taken you down like longer that, down that, I guess, cul-de-sac. But I think um, mm. I'll say that for next time, maybe if either of you is willing to come back um, for more <laughs> chat. Um, so, yeah, if you guys just both want to say when I tell you um, just what you think, just rapid fire, kind of should the grand final be a night game? No. Doc? I think they should try it, yes. Okay. And why for both of you, Chizo, go? I think we're very traditional. I like the twilight aspect with the sun going down. And it's something that it, I think is unique to our game. I, I, I like the afternoon setting that we have it at the moment. I think it's it's more pleasing to watch. Okay, and I'm just going to interrupt the doc because it does make it much more difficult for Americans to watch it. Um, I don't know if I've told both of you for the last couple of grand finals, um, we've stayed up to watch it real time. And then, I mean, it ends at like 4 a.m. our time. So, Doc, um, defend your answer. I, I think, look, I, I understand the tradition and I'm I'm tra I'm traditionally more of a tra traditionalist. Um, I, I would say with a healthy respect for that, I actually don't like the transition from day into night. I think it should either be a day game or a night game versus a twilight game um, just for consistency of experience. No, no, not a very strong answer, not a very strong defense. To me, I'm, I'm, I, I would pick one or the other. Yeah. Okay. And 
onto more kind of like familiar cues. Um, should Tazzy get their own team? Because it's sounding like it's closer to happening. No. Doc? Now that's an interesting answer from Chizo because he was uh, he was born in Tasmania and he's from there, so that's interesting. Um, I ha- I actually looked into this uh, a few years ago, and the AFL a few years ago decided not to put a team in Tasmania because Tasmania is split into two major cities. You've got Hobart and Launceston, and it it doesn't have a lot of corporate infrastructure behind it to support a team. So I think there's a lot of problems. Unless you're going to split games between the two towns and split the fan base across there in, in what is, in essence, a small state, um, I think it's it's rife with logistical problems, and it may not work out. So I like the idea of Tasmanians having their own team. I just don't think it's feasible from a sustainability standpoint. Yeah, and that's that's totally totally my agreement there. It just financially, it wouldn't work. It would fail, and we don't have the. It's it, it just wouldn't be able to support itself. It's it, it would be relying too much on handouts from the AFL going forward. It would never become self sustaining. Okay, interesting. Um, so speculative. Um, I know just kind of furthering along, like and obviously conjecture. But um, does your team make it into the top eight this season because they both did last year? Chizo, go first. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think we do. I think we're in the 9 to 12 bracket. Doc? Uh, we should, yes. Uh, depending oh, come on. on. Yes you or finish no. Top two. <laughs> y- yes. Very hesitant. How is yes. that difficult? Okay. <laughs> there was a longer answer there. Be quiet. <laughs> But it's rapid fire. I'll be quiet. Okay. Um, and name a team you think will make it to the grand final. Oh, I'm notoriously terrible at this. I predicted Melbourne would make it last year and they came second Ooh. last. Um, I'm going to take a very vanilla answer. Don't say and Richmond. say Geelong. Okay. Ooh. And Doc? I actually like that answer a lot. Good job. Um, Collingwood. Oh, gosh, you guys are picking good answers. Okay, I'm going to say the Eagles just because I see them making a comeback, but I probably would have probably would have said Collingwood too. Okay, um, why Geelong? Just because you want to play it safe. I think, this, I think they've got two years left with the site, with the window that they have. They've got Danger still in his prime, Selwood slowing down, but still, um, you know, Gary Ablett still exceptional. Um, I think they've got a lot of the right kind of pieces to the puzzle they just need to find a way to stop losing the ones they should win by 50 points <laughs> okay and doc um by calling i think the i think they've gotten close uh, a few years i think they should have beaten gws last year i i see them as being hungrier than ever to prove the doubter is wrong you know with the whole calling wobbles um, slurs that are that are thrown at them that they can't win the big one. Uh, I like Buckley as a coach. I, I've read into some of the evolution that he's gone through uh, with some of this kind of Eastern philosophy reading that he's gone through with that. To me, it depends on their health, uh, if they can, you know, how they do with injuries and if uh, Jordan Degoe can overcome what appears to be some preseason fitness problems and uh, take the next level in his own evolution. 
Okay, perfect. Thank you guys so much. It was so great talking to you both and just discussing my or our collective favorite topic, I feel. Um, happy weekend, and we'll talk fitty soon. I honestly hope that one or both of you will be willing to come back in the future um, and just share some more like footy talk space. Thank you guys so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having us on.